trusting in Jesus plus nothing equals being right with God. Here's what I mean. In the Middle East, Salam, a Muslim leader, watched a film about Jesus. Afterward, he couldn't get Jesus' words out of his head. Come to me. I will give you rest. Those same words came from his mouth the next morning when he was supposed to give the traditional call to prayer at his mosque. He said, come to me, I will give you rest over the loudspeaker. It was not planned, so he tried two more times with the same result. That's what came out of his mouth. When Salam came down from the minaret, he was staggered to see the mosque filled with Muslims who heard the call and had come for rest. The call at the mosque that morning was beautiful to those Muslim friends who were trying so hard to get God's approval, and Muslims do try so hard to get God's approval. But it's not just Muslims. You and I can fall into trying to earn God's favor and his smile, but that's bondage. Jesus plus anything to be right with God is bondage, puts us in bondage, keeps us in bondage. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure, I love that, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law or to your performance. Here are some of the things that we can add to Jesus. And you're welcome to text some in that I miss here, 800-968-8930. Here are some of the things we can add to Jesus. I got to have a focused time with God every day. <laughs> I just confessed to that, didn't I? A little bit earlier. A little bit earlier, I was sharing how it's just a really been a busy week, and I haven't had the quiet, focused time the way that I like to have it. I'm on constant conversation with God, which is me trying to justify myself there. But I haven't had that sit down, be still, soak in his presence, quiet your mind time that I like to have. And I thought, it's made me nervous. Maybe I've fallen out of favor with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I got to share the gospel. We can add that to Jesus to think that'll make us right with God. I need to go to the priest for confession. I need to be able to point to a specific moment in time when I accepted Christ. I got to be a Calvinist. I got to be as far away from Calvinists as possible. I need to speak in tongues. I need to obey the Ten Commandments. I need to have been baptized as a baby. Hmm. No, got to be baptized by immersion. I need to go to church. These are things we can add to Jesus to get our favor with God. Mm -hmm. I need to conquer my sin to get right with God. I need to read my Bible more so God doesn't get upset at me. Adding anything to Jesus to be right with God is not the gospel. Hmm. If we are trying to be right with God by what we do, then we have to be flawlessly perfect. Now, we can go that route. That's God's standard, flawless perfection. He will give you his blessing if you are flawlessly perfect, if I am flawlessly perfect. But there was only one who was flawlessly perfect, Jesus. He alone lived the perfect life. He died for our extremely flawed broken, sinful lives. He rose to prove that he alone is righteous. And through our faith alone in him, we are right with God forever. That's freedom. That's the gospel.
that is it right there. And it's just, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to really kind of like you, you cracked open something, right? Like you poked at something a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to press in a little farther to that spot. Just earlier this morning, I was saying, Lord, please help this crack and poke into Shauna a bit. (laughs) Well, consider it well done because yeah, I'm feeling poked at a little bit, Uh, but no, these, these things that you listed, Perry, they're, they're not, um, you know, they're not somebody else's stuff. I think every one of us can identify with one of these things as going, Ooh, okay. Now you're messing with me a little bit. Cause, cause that one kind of tends to seep in. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling the conviction of that. But if we press in even farther to think that we can add anything to what Jesus has done for us is a bit manipulative. Mm. Yeah. It's manipulative of our faith. It's transactional. As well. And sometimes, here's the reality, sometimes it's transactional for sure because it's saying that, you know, this is what I've got to, this is the part I've got to play in order to get something mm-hmm. that I don't deserve. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think sometimes we'll do it to ourselves and that's where I was feeling kind of poked at. But sometimes we do this to other people too. Yeah. Other believers. We put stuff on them that's not God's intent for them. Well, now you're poking at me. <laughs> Very well. Touche, my friend. (laughs) Consider it a success. Touche, my friend. Oh, Holy Spirit, do what you got to do in all of us, right? (laughs) Yeah, so, okay, here's the deal. A lot of these things I've mentioned are good things. Mm -hmm. So, yes, obey God. Be devoted to doing what is good. But not to get God's smile, but because you already have it through your faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. Man, I needed to hear that. Do it not because you have to, but because you can, because you're free to. Glad to start off Friday with you. By the way, it's Freedom Friday. Woo-woo. And it's so good to be with you, to encourage you, just remind you this morning, because I need to be reminded every morning of who we are and why we're here. Let's take a look at Isaiah 30, 15. It says this. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Doggone it, I wish he'd left off that last line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that last line. In, but the first part of the verse says, you know, in repentance and rest is your salvation. Which, you know, simply put, to me, says, in turning from sin and just wholeheartedly loving God and his ways, we are saved. Because Jesus died for our sins when we acknowledge our sin and we stop sinning, when we behave differently, we are saved from what sin produced, you know, from the death that is rightfully ours because of our sinful choices. And what this says to me is, you know, my sin is trying to be my own Lord and Savior, that life is on me and it's up to me to find my own purpose, find my own identity find my own sense of I'm okay. That's all being my own Lord and Savior. And I need to repent of that, turn from trusting in myself and making life Mm -hmm. all about myself and turn to the living God, the creator of all things, who provided his son as a sacrifice for my sins and put my complete trust to transfer my complete trust from myself to him. And that's my salvation. Right, which is a complete turning 
of what is natural and what is normal for us. Mm -hmm. And repentance simply means turning. So the opportunity here is saying, he's saying, just turn, turn and then rest. Repentance and rest is where your salvation is found. The resting is the trusting that God has done it and that God has got me. But this next line and that quietness uh, and, excuse me, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. So strength for today, strength for the journey is found in quietness. And I'm telling you, our world is not set up for you to have quiet time. The world is, I mean, our culture just has us going 100 miles an hour, like all of our senses hitting us all at once. The music's loud. The, the you know, the smells are loud. The, it's just coming at you 100 miles an hour. And so you have to be intentional about getting the quietness. And then the trust, trust isn't something that comes naturally either. We literally have to stop the activity of life, quiet the noise, and rest in who God is. And that's where we receive strength for today. But what gets me here is the very end of it where it says the, the line I wish wasn't there, but you would have none of it, which, you know, references that we have a choice. We can receive that, you know, we can choose repentance and rest. We can choose quietness and trust, or we can actually kind of forfeit what God offers us. But the choice is ours. And I think every day we have a choice. And I have to choose to trust the gospel every single day. When I start my day, I reset in the gospel. I turn away from trusting myself, and I remember that my trust is in Jesus, and I reboot every day that way, Mm -hmm. every single day. Now, I don't need to be brought into God's family every single day. I'm not in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. I'm just saying that... I've got to reboot. I need to be renewed in the attitude of my mind. Yeah, we have to be reminded of what is true, what's already been done. It's really what it is, isn't it? I don't want none of it. I want all of it. This is how God sees you. Listen, even though this is summer, I think this is going to work. So here we go. Think of a snow-covered field with rolling hills. The sun is just rising in a sky of orange hues. The blowing snow moves across the unblemished countryside. The few leafless trees reach up to grab the new day, their icicle-covered branches sparkling like diamonds in the rising sun. Breathtaking beauty, a picture-perfect postcard. When God looks at us, when God looks at you, he sees breathtaking beauty. I can't fully explain it, but I do know that this is what his word tells me, because of my faith in Jesus Christ. God sees us this way because of Jesus. He lived the flawlessly beautiful, perfect life we could never live. He passed every test. He never failed, lied, cheated, messed up. And then he died the death we deserve as our substitute. He was substituted for me and for you. And he rose again to clothe us in the beauty of himself. We're clothed in his beauty, in his robe of righteousness. The Father sees you and me through the beauty of Jesus. And I know we often don't feel this. I get it. I don't often feel this. But it's the truth. Mm -hmm. 
whether our feelings are there or not. And the truth invites you to see yourself through God's eyes. Okay, so when you painted the picture of the snowy morning, right, mm-hmm. West Michigan, we can we can just put ourselves there just in a heartbeat. But when the snow has just fallen, you wake up in the morning and it's untouched. There is something so beautiful about that, that white, pristine, untouched snow. But you leave the driveway, you head out into the road, you know, the plows have been by, the salt has been laid on the road, and the side of the road is just this muddy, junky yuck. Okay, you're messing up my story here. I know, but hang on. Just hang with me. <laughs> I know. Hang with me. I trust you. That is that is so often when I look at the own, my own experiences of life as I have traveled down the road, right? I see that. I see the stuff that got kicked up into the white, pristine snow, and it's ruined now. Like, it can never just be like it was before. That's what I see. But that's not what God sees when he looks at you and me. He sees the untouched, fresh fallen, pristine, white, beautiful snow because of Jesus. Yeah. And as we continue to walk with Jesus, what you describe, your picture happens. We get muddied by this world. But here's the deal. I'm going to go with your story, my friend. I'm going to go with your story. Keep going with the analogy. It snows again. Oh, that's good. And it covers it all over. And his snowfall is an endless supply. Woo! It's getting, <laughs> it's, it's getting deep, but that doesn't really... It is getting deep. <laughs> this is what God is trying to get across to us in Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together. Let us reason together, my friend. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Hallelujah. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 118. Blinding white, unblemished. This is how we are seen in Christ. I've made the decision to see myself the way God sees me. The decision. Mm -hmm. I don't always feel that it's true. Many times during the day, I don't feel it's true. Usually in the morning when I get up, I don't feel it's true. (laughs) Our feelings can be really powerful, but what is more powerful is God himself and the truth. Mm -hmm. That never changes. But as time passes, I'm growing to know that it's true. It's becoming more and more a conviction as I choose each day to believe the truth and as the Holy Spirit pushes it deep into my heart. You and I are in a battle. We're in a battle with an enemy who is stronger than me and stronger than you, but God. Mm -hmm. God has not left us without weapons in this battle. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Another way of saying this is we live in the natural will, the natural realm. Our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defense, the defenses behind which people hide. Mm-hmm. And I just picture that like a, you know, a bomb that's just ticking and ready to go off and do all kinds of damage. That's the work of the enemy. That's what he wants to see happen. He has come to steal, kill and destroy. And we have been given the weapons to dismantle his evil plans. Hmm. 
Yeah, and our weapons are, as far as I can tell, at the very least, our weapons are prayer. And that doesn't seem very, well, let me use the word sexy. It doesn't seem very much like that. But prayer is so powerful. You look at the book of Revelation and the prayers of the saints are ascending and they're filling up a bowl and they're filling up a bowl. And then God decides when to pour out the bowl. But it starts with the prayers of his people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does make sense. Yeah. So and then we have the word of God. You know, Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness and Jesus kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And we need to be it is written people. We have the Holy Spirit. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And related, of course, to all this is the gospel. We have the gospel, and Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. When we know the gospel and we've internalized the gospel and we speak the gospel, the Holy Spirit just puts an extra power within that when we speak the gospel, and the gospel demolishes ideas and philosophies and worldviews that pridefully set themselves up against the knowledge of God. You know, I'm just mindful right now that, you know, in war, when danger is imminent, I, you know, my knee-jerk reaction or my natural reaction would be to seek cover, to, to find safety somehow remain neutral and untouched in the midst of, you know, impending doom or harm, right? But this is not what the scripture says. It doesn't say run to safety and I will protect you. It says, listen, you you are to take the offense. You are not even on defense. You are to take ground for the kingdom of God. And this is how you get about it. You take down the enemy. That's who we are. That's what God has called us to as Christ followers, not to try to somehow manage to survive, but to actually take ground for the kingdom of God. And the message, Eugene Peterson says this verse this way, this world is unprincipled. It's dog eat dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they're for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, for tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of a life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. 